Hi, so this is our uh, Ag Week show, and uh, so I'd like to turn it over to Ms. Inge Bistoner, and uh, she'll carry some most of the weight uh, through the end. So go ahead, Inge. All right, thank you, Rob. Yeah, this is Inge Bistoner, uh, host of the Water Zone Ag Podcast. We uh, get together once every month on just usually the th- last Thursday of the month. And thank you for to Chris Austin for um, introducing me to Don Wright, who is our guest tonight. He is the uh, creator of another um, entity called Water Rights, and that's W-R-I-G-H-T-S, uh, similar to his last name, but I'm sure it goes into the other rights as, as well. So welcome to the show, Don. Hi, how are you? <laughs> We're doing great, and um, uh, I know that you and Chris are really good friends, and any any friend of Chris is a friend of mine. So uh, well, welcome to the show, and thank you for taking time out of, you know, a precious evening to visit with us about uh, all the stuff that you're doing with water. Oh, amen, sister. It's very much my pleasure. Uh, a friend of Chris is also a friend of mine. And, uh, <laughs> very I've good. Been, I've, been, I've been able to listen in the first part and have really enjoyed it. Uh, I, you know, I'm glad you're not asking me about the lawsuits and the legislation. I'm not as up to speed as she is. Oh, I know. It's, it's amazing. It's amazing how she keeps all that straight. I love it. Uh, you want to know what's going on? Ask Chris, and she'll she'll give it to you. Well, listen for our uh, for our listening audience. Let me introduce you so they know a little more about your background, and then we'll we'll uh, dive into the interview before um, our next break. So, um, John, you've been a freelance journalist in uh, California Central Valley for about the past thirty years, and you've had award winning reporting. That's been um, uh, cited in numerous publications, including the Business Journal, the L.A. Times, and Range Magazine. And you started uh, covering irrigation water in the San Joaquin Valley around 2001. So you've almost got two decades of that uh, sort of reporting under your belt. So I bet that's been been an exciting um, time. There's a lot going on there. And your website, Water Rights, uh, describes itself as it is here to help farmers secure the water supply so they can grow the food and fiber we all need, quote-unquote. So, you know, agriculture is California's top industry, and water is its most precious resource. There's always something in the news about water in California, but, you know, actually very little reporting takes place at that intersection of public and private transfer, um, which is really the water or the irrigation district that makes all of that possible, and that's kind of your specialty. So... Uh, between you and Chris, we should be able to keep up with what's going on <laughs> in this water world. So, Don, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got involved in agriculture and water, and I should also add that you hail from uh, east of Fresno in Clovis, so you're up in the Central Valley. San Joaquin. Yeah, I, uh, San Joaquin Valley. Um, I, I look back on my experiences. I've had a failed career as a rock star and a saddle bronc rider. <laughs> uh, so I went back to school, and I, I got my four-year degree and here 13 years in Fresno State. And I was, I must have been destined to be a journalist because I just did so poorly in math that I changed my major to speech communication, which had the least math requirements. Uh-huh. Uh, after graduating, uh, I, I worked for, I worked as an entertainment writer. Actually, I got to interview Waylon Jennings and Chris Isaac and um, 
Oh, who was the guy from Ferris Bueller's Day Off that kept going? Ben Stein. Oh, wow. So, so I've had some fun, and I had a lot of fun, and I, I really liked it, but I was interested in politics. Uh, I, I enjoyed journalism, but I was interested in politics, and it paid a little bit better. And I went to work as a, as a I, I like to say chief of staff, even though there was only one staff member, which was me, for a Fresno <laughs> County supervisor, which taught me to sit through long, boring meetings. And um, and here I am. Now I go to irrigation districts. My, my <laughs> grandfather was a farmer in California. He came out here from Georgia, ended up working for Boswell in cotton, and became a farmer. My father came from a farm in Oklahoma when he was 14 years old. He came out here by himself during the Dust Bowl and started picking melons on the west side. So I've got both extremes, the farmer and the farm worker background. Uh, he, he eventually he went to work for James Irrigation District. Uh, and if you go out to James now, there's a plaque out there that has his name and my grandmother's name on it. So it kind of all fell into place. Uh, yeah, well, that's, I, that's a very cool, uh, zigzaggy way to get into uh, you know the water world. Gosh, starting as a rock star, you and Rob have got to get together and and talk because I'm looking forward uh, to that. Oh, yeah, <laughs> Rob. Rob is also a you uh, know a failed rock star. He actually um, you got a top twenty, Rob. To you, a top ten song. I, I don't remember exactly what it is, but um, you were all seven, gold, seven gold and two platinum. Oh my goodness! Oh my uh, goodness! Well, I, I um, hope you'll stay on after the show so I can get some pointers. I I've never <laughs> made a penny out of songwriting, but that's that's the thing I love to do most. <laughs> Well, music is always good. You can't go wrong with that. Well, I'm glad that you uh, uh, found your way into our, you know, agricultural water world. Uh, that's a great background to get here. And um, I know all about having a farm background with grandfathers and fathers. Same thing here, yeah. all from California, though. So uh, that's good. That's we got to grow the food that we eat. So tell us a little bit about um, Water Right and how that organization got formed and. Yeah, you know, maybe a little bit about its mission. Okay. Well, going back in the history again, when I got fired the second time from the Business Journal, um, Mark Arax, who you may know, he's an L.A. Times reporter, wrote The King of yeah. California about Boswell. He yeah. got me involved with them, and I ended up um, I ended up getting a, a front page above the fold co-byline with him on the oh, wow. Chandra Levy murder case, if you might oh remember. God. She was an intern. And then... That idiot Scott Peterson killed his wife and baby, and I covered that murder trial for the L.A. So I had a couple of high profile. In the meantime, Enron wanted to put in a water bank in Madera County, um, and they, with all the subtlety of a, of a sledgehammer, came in there with bags of money in the middle of the night, and they got ran out of town. They, they wanted to trade uh, native water for um, imported water, and it was a mess. But there was a company that came in after them and said, look, this, this could work. We could put in water banking here in the valley to, uh, to a greater degree. They were called Western Development Storage. They were from L.A. They had seen some of my work in the L.A. Times, God bless them. Um, which, by the way, the, the right after byline, front page, just in time for me to go pick up my last check at that other paper that had fired me. So that was fun. Oh, my God. But, oh. yeah. But they hired me as a consultant. I, I've always been an independent contractor. 
And I started attending meetings up and down the valley, doing a lot of what I'm doing right now. Only nobody knew who I was. I would sit in these irrigation and water district meetings, and I would write stories. But they were private stories that went to the information, went to Western Development and, and, and Storage, which later became Renewable Resource Group and became a oh. very large company. Um, and I didn't have enough initials. After my last name, you know, I just got a, I guess, BA for having a Bachelor of Arts. And I didn't have an advanced degree. And they really, honestly, didn't need me anymore. But they're still my friends. I still have a lot of uh, love and appreciation. They got me launched. And by now, okay, 20 years, I've got all the resources I've been through. And believe me, it took me 10 years before people would even talk to me. Plus, I didn't know anything. There's not a book you can open up and say, this is how water actually works at this right. level. These are, um, and we, I think we're going to get into that on some of the other questions here. Yeah, yeah, but, it's, a, it's a mystery to most people, and that's why uh, we need people like you and Chris to help us break it down. Yeah, it's, 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 I guess the main lesson I learned is if you shake enough money at it, water can run uphill in California. <laughs> uh, well, well, very good. Well, uh, I, I'll hand it back over to Rob. We're going to go to commercial break, and then we will dive right into what Water Rights has been doing ever since uh, Western Development and Storage uh, handed you that last check and, and got you launched with your own sponsors. Yeah, I'm excited about that. I can't wait to hear the rest of that. Yeah, welcome back to the Water Show Ads podcast. This is Good Connor with my guest, Sean Wright, with Water Rights. And, Sean, welcome back to the show. Thank you, thank you. I'm really having a good time. To be. Yeah, it is a good time. It's always a fun time talking about water. Well, Don, I'm going to bounce around a little bit here. I, I'd like to dive into um, some of this um, uh, water district board meeting uh, activity that you do. You spend a lot of time going And I bet a lot of people don't know that much about what a water district is, Um just as Chris was telling us about the State Water Resources Control Board, these are all mysterious entities. Maybe you can enlighten us a little bit on, you know, the, the history and purpose of a water district, how it's different from other government agencies, and, you know, um, how it might be improved in the future. Some people are saying that, um, you know, perhaps these entities should be modernized. I'm curious about your perspective on that as well. Okay, well, um, first off, a water district and an irrigation district, uh, You down in Southern California, have metropolitan water districts. And that's actually a, a supplier of the state water project water. That's the water that comes out of the delta down the California aqueduct into Southern California. One of the big things. Now, water district up here is a little bit different. A water district is a... It's a it's a subdivision of the state, like a county is, a district is, too. You have water districts, you have irrigation districts. Um, the difference between those two is real simple. Uh, if you live in an irrigation district and you're a registered voter, you can vote for uh, directors, and you can also run for directors. If you don't live in that district, you can't do either. doesn't matter how if you own half the land in the district. Doesn't do any good. However, a water district, you have to own land to vote and run for the board, and it doesn't matter if you live there. 
and your votes are weighted by how many acres. And there's other complications hmm. of the divided. So you see a little bit difference. When you see a water district up here in the in the valley, they're almost all, they have to do with, with uh, ir, uh, ag irrigation, irrigation districts and water districts. They're fairly interchangeable except for the ownership uh, hmm. requirements and the voting requirements. It changes a little bit. Um, now, they do a pretty good job. They have a judicial, quasi-judicial, quasi-legislative function because they can't tax, they can set levies, but they have to go through hearings. They have to adhere to uh, a thing called the Brown Act, a piece of legislation in California that forces them to be transparent in yep. almost all things. They can only go to a private meeting that's not open to the public to discuss personnel matters, lawsuits, litigation, and I believe real estate transactions. And if there's anything beyond that, I've, I've never seen it happen. Rarer than a, than a pearl and an oyster do they come into problems with uh, financial matters. You do hear about it, but for the most part, you've got farmers who are fighting weather. They're fighting crop pestilence. They're trying to get the right fertilizers, right mixture of timing and water. They're very cognizant of what's going on at that district. They keep a, they know their they know their stuff. Farmers don't uh, use chemicals. They don't recreationally spend money on that stuff. It is they keep a tight line. I've never met a farmer, even though they could be living in a billion dollar house, driving a brand new truck. They're always going broke because you never know. We could have a swarm of locusts and a drought. It, you know. They keep an eye on these boards. So yeah, the boards yeah. So, a, yeah. So I was just going to say, so uh, so Don, you basically cover these meetings for these farm groups, or uh, and I kind well, of I, to go ahead and tell me about the board meetings, but uh, and then what's well, your role? Right. I, I what I do, I just I just go to the board and I pay attention to what takes place, and I I actually have have developed the ability to sit there and type, and I'm about a paragraph behind of what's actually happening. So if anybody does go to my reports, you're going to see there are some George Carlin-type errors, such as uh, hand me that piano or <laughs> something equivalent to that. I don't, I don't always catch them. Um, but, and I, I do very little reporting on financials because, again, most of the financial stuff is in pretty good shape. Yeah. Um, at least it's being managed as best as it can be. And, and I, uh, I try to see what's happening with the people because, you know, we're dealing with human beings. We're dealing with uh, they, they're supplying water, which is the lifeblood of this valley, the lifeblood yeah. of this state. And the, ec the economy depends upon it, our very livelihood, our ability to have food to eat. And California is highly regulated. You're not going to find a more, uh, I don't know, tortured over scenario of bringing food to your table. There's very, very close attention paid to what chemicals are used, whether pesticides or fertilizers. There's a lot of things you can do in other states you just can't do here. And it's, it's all watched real close. How much water is allocated, watched very closely. So I'd have to say the boards are doing pretty good. The one thing I, I, I hope that they do is continue. The law has on the Brown Act had restrictions about where you could be to attend it. Like, you can't just call into a meeting in the old mm -hmm. days. Mm -hmm. Pre-virus, 
I mean, post-virus now, I'm saving a bazillion dollars on gas. I get a lot more work done. I used to have to drive to Bakersfield, the two-hour drive. So I'd drive for a four-hour round trip to sit at a two-hour meeting. That pretty much shot a big hole in my day. Now I get on the phone and the computer. You know, it's ever beautiful. The, the virus is absolutely horrific in terms of what it's done to health and economy and so forth. But there are some silver linings to it because it's taught us to do things a little bit differently, such as what you just spoke of. And some of these things are better. You know, you can actually get a lot of work done without, you know, driving, like you say, four hours round trip or flying cross country for a meeting. A lot of these things are very effectively done these days with, you know, the tools that we have. So I'm glad that you're... You're off the road a little bit more and able to participate. Do you think they'll change the rules uh, permanently after after this to allow that, or do you think it will go back? I think it's going to be changed. I think enough people are. I mean, it's in their interest to do it, in my opinion. Yeah, uh, yeah. You want if there, let's say there is no, we're beyond the virus. There's a there's a dozen meetings I can attend within a, a 45 minute to an hour drive. That's not yeah. that bad. Sure. Um, sure. But what happens is they schedule these meetings on the first and are the second, third Tuesdays and Thursdays of the week. So there's some days there are 12 meetings. Oh wow! And that, that and I well I can't do that. Uh, today I had I had two meetings. Oh, yeah. I can do that. I can so do Don, that. You're, you're basically attending these meetings and covering them uh, for whom? For, to, to basically oh. report it on your website or for your sponsors? Well, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm set up. The, the, one of the reasons Chris Austin, Maven, and I are not in competition, she works with grants. I sell advertisements. If you really get down to it, I'm an ad salesman first. Okay. Because that's, right. uh, that's, that's what pays for this. My readers are, and I didn't mean for this to happen, but it worked out perfectly for me. My readers control 4.5 million acres of the San Joaquin Valley's irrigated land. Okay. I don't have a great a deal of readers, but the the everybody I go to I go to your board meeting. Let's say you're a water district. Well, the major landowners are being represented there. They're reading sure. my stuff. They're okay. attorneys. Right. They're they're engineers. Okay. And in the irrigation districts, most usually the prominent, more progressive farmers make it on those boards. So I've got this really great readership, and they want to see what their neighbor's doing uh, with, with the event of Sigma. Uh, do your listeners know what Sigma is? They should, but uh, we can certainly review that. Well, go ahead and do that, um, so the Groundwater uh, Act. So, um, the Sustainable Groundwater mm-hmm. Management Act of 2014. Yes. yes. I, I, I'd like to say this. We had a drought between, I guess, from, went from, what, 13 to 16 or so? In between 14 and 15, for sure. Friant, I was. We were talking about where the water comes from. There's a Central Valley project that is a federal water project of canals and rivers and conveyance systems. There's a state water project that is a similar thing. In the valley, uh, the federal Central Valley project kind of takes care of the east side of San Joaquin Valley, uh, and the state project takes care of the west side that's oversimplified by a great deal but for our purposes i I think that's a great explanation of it that's uh, a nice plastic way and that's that's accurate 
Okay. And without getting into all the rigmarole that caused it, for two years, during the height of the drought, the Friant system of the state water project got zero allocation. They got zero water in their canal. That surface water, that was their surface water supply. That had never happened before in history. And what did they do? They had to pump. You know, we've got, we've got permanent crops now. We've got trees and vines. They have to have water. Uh, you know, if we were just row crop, we could say, well, we're not going to plant tomatoes this year. Or we'll leave the garlic for next year. They didn't have that option. They had to keep their investment. Um, and they drip, use drip. They're very efficient in, in irrigation now. Like 90% of the valley is on drip. But anyway, they didn't get the uh, surface water. They had to pump. And things got bad. Uh, and, and, and so just, just, for, just to clarify for our listening audience, you say they didn't get the surface water, the mountain water, had to pump. They had to. De- they were starting now to deplete the groundwater. Correct. To deplete the aquifer. Yes, ma'am. That's what was yeah, happening. Okay. And so, uh, okay. you know, a couple of the uh, legislators—one from Santa Barbara and one from Sacramento—neither of which had a large ag uh, portion in their district—came up with the Groundwater Management Act. Well, it was going to have to be done, and so now we have been given. Uh, the ability to determine how much water we can pump until we have to stop. And if that gets approved by the state, and it's a good idea to let us make those decisions, because we know it, a one-size-fits-all does not work in California. It's too diverse a uh, landscape in this state. Like, it could be three or four states anywhere else. Yeah, We're going to yeah. determine that, and we've got till the year 2040 to get our Groundwater Act in line so that we don't take out any more than we put, are able to put in. And that has to happen. It, it does uh, have to happen because otherwise uh, the deepest draw will suck it dry. It will be, you know, the tragedy of the commons. And I think, I think the state was actually kind of overdue to have such um, a law. And, um, but it's going to cause some pain, there's no doubt, um, especially if we get well, into this, this mega drought um, scenario that, that the yeah. – uh, in, in typical, publish the paper. Typical, on. right? In typical California fashion, though, Arizona they spent five years studying their groundwater. Then they wrote their version. The country of Denmark is completely reliant upon groundwater. In Europe, they spent ten years. Then they wrote their sigma. Here we wrote sigma and gave and gave the participants three years to figure out how to make it work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but we still little, little. still do have until you said 2040 until um, yeah. we actually have to be in compliance. So that you know that gives us some time. But yes, it's a, it's a major topic in the water world for all these um, groundwater management um, areas to come under compliance, and they're trying to figure it out. You know, they, it's it's a tough deal, and I know you're involved in that with. Um, What's yeah. it called? The San Joaquin Valley Water Blueprint. Yeah, you're involved in yeah, in helping that happen, huh? I think it's one of the most exciting things that has come about uh, since I've been reporting on water in 20 years. You know. Oh wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I recently married a lady from Southern Louisiana out of Lafayette. She's Cajun, and I've been back there a few. I try to avoid it in the summer. She says the same thing here. Cause of the, anyway, 
You go there, and they have food, they have music, they have a culture developed, and they are known as their own identified section of Calif- of their state of Louisiana. Different from New Orleans, different from northern Louisiana, Shreveport, Alexander. I think the San Joaquin Valley should be doing the same thing. We often get farmers, farmers first off, they don't do a really good job of telling their story. I love them, but they're like herding cats when it comes to getting them to do that. And there are three types of environmentalists. There are the environmentalists that are trying to work to make the world a better place for everybody, recognizing that man is also a naturally occurring animal on this planet. And how can we all work together? Then there's the greedy corporate environmentalist that's about, hey, send us money so you can feel good about yourself. We'll take care of it. Then there's the neo-pagan tree-hugging environmentalist that worships Mother Earth, and I don't know what their problem is. But I've, <laughs> I've actually, one of the stories when I was with the LA Times was to do a story on deep environment. There are people that advocate the stop of the human race, that we should have zero population growth and die out and then let the planet return to its natural state, which is not natural because we wouldn't be there. Well, you know, with, with this virus, they might get their Yeah, get their there's... <laughs> Uh, oh, that's horrible okay. to think of. <laughs> so, if, Sigma, if nothing is done with Sigma, if, if, if nobody does, we're going to end up reducing pumping to the point that we're going to take over a million, maybe a million and a half acres out of production. Dr. David Sundig of UC Berkeley did a story, a story, did a report on this, an economic impact report, and it's going to be devastating, not just to the valley. But to the entire state, economy is going to be impacted negatively. And the most vulnerable amongst us are the um, what they call DACs, disadvantaged communities, which are often farm workers. And they have, they have some problems of their own with water. But if they don't have a job, it doesn't really matter. They can't live. Nobody can live here without working. Land without water is work. So the San Joaquin Valley Blueprint came into being. People came together. Right now it's basically ag, but we do have a lot of input from Fresno State University, um, and we're getting more input from medical, NGOs, non-governmental organizations. We're looking at a holistic approach. How can we do this? How, do we do, how can we retire the, the worst-producing land with the best recharge and bank water? And one of the big myths of the Delta is it's fish against farms. I don't think people understand. Without the dams that provide irrigation water and stream flows, the uh, during 2014 and 15, there would have been salt water up to Sacramento and Stockton. The Delta is a. Uh, it could be. It goes from brackish. There's a scientific name for it. I don't remember. It can be clean water or you know, fresh water, and it could be salt. Water. But right now, they have to keep a flow going through that delta. They stay to protect the fish. They're also keeping the saltwater pushed back into San Francisco Bay. What are they also doing? They're diluting all the pollution, wastewater that's being dumped by by the industries around San Francisco, the, the estuary there, the bay and estuary. So those flows are, if they really were there to help the fish, why are, why are, why are we having a non-native striped bass eating 90%, did you hear me, 90% of the out-migrating salmon going out to the ocean so they can come back and spawn again. 
90% are killed, are eaten by predation, striped bass, which are a non-native fish that was introduced for sports fishing. That there's, there's a limit on those things. So there's a lot of questions about how can we, how can we distribute water a little more equitably. Then you've got the farmers in the Delta. And I, and I can tell you, they're great people, too. They love their children. They want to farm. They're, they're, they're having conflicts with the, with the salt intrusion and the water levels. There's a better way to go about this. One of the things we could do is redesign the intake. There's, every year there's 10 million acre foot on average goes out to sea above and beyond the need for environmental and habitat purposes. That water can be captured. Uh, it can be captured with no harm to the fish during flood flow season. And the problem is we don't have anywhere to put it. So for the valley to be made whole, to avoid this economic collapse, we need to import about another million acre feet. Well, that's one-tenth of that average supply that goes out to sea. It's above and beyond the needs, recognized needs right now. It can be done. Well, with you, the, uh, that's what the San Joaquin Valley Blueprint is about. Yeah, well, when, we, when you say you don't have anywhere to put it, I know that there's a lot of work being done to bank it under, say, almond uh, orchards or, uh, you know, grape vineyards in the winter when it won't kill the crop. So basically letting yeah. the river flow back into the ag land uh, and replenish the groundwater that way during the winter when it doesn't, you know, hurt the fish to take it away. Yes, but there's there's conveyance is a, is a condition that we haven't had an upgrade in our water infrastructure. I think the last time was under the first Governor Brown, there was any real work done. And the population has gone from 14 million to 40 million, and we're still using the same plumbing. Yeah. You know, well, I think, I think invite, the second Brown was wanting, is, wanting to do more of that as well. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, there's there's the tunnels, all that. But um, yeah. what we would have to do, though, to be able to convey that much extra water, we'd have to add a few more canals uh, that would run east and west. Most of our canal system in, in, from the Delta South run north and south. We mm-hmm, need to be able mm-hmm. to tie those two systems together. That would allow us to spread water over the land that, where, the, where this recharge could be. I mean, everybody banking, oh, there's something kind of cool that, that I, nobody's talking about, and I don't know why. Santa Clara Valley Water District, the, the district that supplies uh, Silicon Valley, Stanford, all of that, San Jose, they get their yep. water from the same place Westland gets its water. Westland's water gets its water. And they're talking about putting in, uh, they have a reservoir of 4,000 feet. They can, they can put a new dam in on it and increase that to 100,000 feet without any major ecological or environmental impact. In fact, that extra water is going to be beneficial to the steelhead run over in the, uh, through Hollister and that, the, uh, well, Santa Clara Valley. So those are a, a couple of uh, interesting ideas on you know, redesigning the intakes and more east-west canals, and those are kind of all big infrastructure-type uh, activities. Um, any any on-farm-type activities you could see to better our situation, or is that really out of your wheelhouse? Well, I, I, 
I'm not an agronomist or a hydrologist. I, I do, however, I work with uh, there at, at Fresno State University. It's the California State University system in Fresno. They have the California Water Institute. They have the Center for Inst- the Center of Irrigation Technology. Yeah, they CIT. have the Wet Center. Yeah. CIT. Yeah. They have yeah. the Wet Center, the Water Envi- uh, Water Energy Technology. I I went through their program a, a few years back, which was a blessing to me. Uh, it, it showed it taught me a whole lot about entrepreneurial and and sales and different things that I needed help with. But I. I found out that I've had bad scientists chase me up and down Highway 99 for years trying to get me to help them sell their latest irrigation gimmick. And some of them I've, I've toyed with, but at the Wet Center, there's a chance to bring these new products in. And up until just recently, I would, if, again, remember, I'm not a hydrologist or a hydrologist, but I would say that Increasing the, the irrigation efficiency, was the, the return on the investment was getting pretty thin. It's like buying a stereo. You pay 900 bucks to get a great stereo. And the next step up is to pay 2000 bucks, and you're only going to get a slight improvement. That's kind of how irrigation is. However, yep. you know, God bless the most creative people on earth are farmers, irrigation district managers trying to get water, and people are recognizing it, and they're starting to be a collaborative effort now to improve any of those things. It's gone very high tech. Yeah, yeah. It's out of my wheelhouse to get into. Okay. Well, Don, thank you for visiting with us. We're at the top of the hour. I have to go to another show now. I really appreciate you visiting with us. And um, for the listening audience, find us on iTunes. Got to have them back. Yeah, we'll have them back. Oh, I'd love to. I'd love to. I had a great time. Thank you for listening.